Hi, everybody, and welcome to an episode of Coach's Corner, where I feature an expert or thought leader or fellow coach to supplement the live coaching episodes for the week. And this week, I am so excited to have a longtime friend and mentor of mine, Ariana Huffington. And I first met her, oh gosh, probably 10 years ago when I started blogging for the Huffington Post. And I just love what she's up to. I love who she is. And she's really spearheading something right now called the sleep revolution. And you'll hear a little bit more about why in my talk with her. But I love that she's bringing this up because as you know from listening to the show, I am a huge fan of self-care. I know that we cannot live into our full potential and make the changes we want and really enjoy our life to the degree that we can if we are not really committed to our self-care. And sleep is a a huge part of that. So I'm sure you know who Ariana is, but just in case, I'll tell you a little bit of her official bio. She is the co-founder, president, and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post Media Group and the author of 15 books. That blows my mind. In May 2005, she launched the Huffington Post, a news and blog site that quickly became one of the most widely read, linked to, and frequently cited media brands on the internet. She's been named to Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people and the Forbes most powerful women list. Originally from Greece, she moved to England when she was 16 and graduated from Cambridge University with a master's in economics. At 21, she became the president of the famed debating society, the Cambridge Union. She serves on numerous boards, including the Center for Public Integrity and the Committee to Protect Journalists. Her book, Thrive, The Third Metric to Redefining Success and Creating a Life of Well-Being, Wisdom, and Wonder, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And in this interview, we'll be talking more about her latest book, The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. And now here's my talk with Ariana. So hi, Ariana. Thank you so much for coming on to Coach's Corner and sharing with us. I appreciate having you here. Christine, it's so great to be with you. You and I have known each other for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It's... And then it's been so great to watch the amazing work you're doing. I, I so appreciate you. Your support and mentorship has meant the world to me. And you are someone who really walks the talk and to, from my point of view, embodies success, not just outward but on the inside as well. And you know your story, which I shared a little bit about in the bio, you had a big wake-up call due to a fall from exhaustion that has put you on a mission. Can you share a little bit about that wake-up call and the mission that it started inside of you? Well, it's kind of interesting because I know you work with a lot of moms who um, obviously, like all of us, want to put our kids first and and that was a precipitating factor for my collapse because um, I was building the Huffington Post two years after the founding, and my, I had two teenage daughters, a single mom, and I was taking my oldest daughter through colleges. And then we would check into a hotel. She would go to sleep. I would start working. And uh, it was really what I did to my body um, that led to getting back home and literally collapsing, hitting my head on my desk and breaking my cheekbone, which looking back um, was probably a blessing because who knows what much worse things could have happened if I had continued down that path. And so when that happened, 
and you had that wake-up call, what what was the first thing that you realized you needed to shift? Well, I realized, and, and having been to different doctors to see if there was anything more medically wrong with me, I realized that really what I was suffering from was what millions of us are suffering from, and this is modern civilization's disease, burnout. And um, so I just um, made it a priority, first of all, to study all the science about sleep and recharging and what happens to our brains and our bodies when we are sleep-deprived, and became completely convinced, of course, that the science is so conclusive that every aspect of our lives, you know, our health, our productivity, our parenting, our happiness, are affected very badly when we're sleep-deprived. And in a sense, sleep deprivation is the new smoking. You know, if you go back to the 60s, um, the science was already in that tobacco was killing us, but people were still smoking and considered it glamorous. And in fact, there were doctors. I just watched a commercial of a doctor in the 60s in a white coat saying things like, I smoke mentals because they refresh my throat. Well, we are now in the same place with sleep. There is a fundamental culture shift happening, but it's not yet complete. So you have people who are still bragging about how little sleep um, they get, and you have um, um, a lot of employers who are realizing that, in fact, um, getting enough sleep is um, something that benefits not just their employees, but the bottom line by reducing healthcare costs and um, and improving productivity. I mean, the CEO of Aetna, for example, Mark Bertolini, has a program at Aetna where employees can um, opt in and mark how much sleep they get. They are given Fitbits, and then if they get seven hours or more, they get $300. So it's not just a financial incentive. It's the message it sends from the top. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is such an important conversation because this is something that, thank goodness, a coach when I first started in my early 20s was really encouraged me to be a marathon or not a sprinter with my life, with my career, with everything. And I really see this busyness as a badge of honor and doing things fast and being really full and having this chaotic schedule. And on on one level, it, it kind of works. You know, if you if you don't sleep a lot and you're super busy, you can go out and like make a lot happen and get a lot done. But the cost of that is so high. And I think it also disconnects us from having the space to tune into really what we're supposed to be doing and the things that'll make us most happy. So how does how does being so busy and not getting sleep actually affect our ability to think and show up in the world. We think we're being more productive because we're awake more, but how is it actually the, creating the opposite of that? Well, that is what is so interesting, that in fact, um, if you want the, the quick science of it, our prefrontal cortex, which is where we make decisions, um, which is uh, where our leadership functions are housed, is degraded faster than any other, faster than our visual and motor skills. And so everything we want to achieve, whether it's um, organizing our home and our children's lives or running a big company, is so badly affected that, in fact, we are less productive. And, in fact, we have the data 
that we people work harder than ever and we and we lose 11 years of productivity per person a year a total of 63 billion dollars in the US economy so this this is a complete delusion but what is exciting just to to go on a positive note is that it's, things are changing uh, and it's really exciting to be part of this culture shift i mean they're changing at home you see more and more mothers realizing that they have to put their own oxygen mask first as they tell us on aeroplanes and that makes them better better moms and and better dads you know i think that is so key to realize that um we simply are not as um happy when we're sleep deprived and our children sense that and we're crankier and more irritable and all the things that then we communicate to our family in a toxic way. Um, you see it um, with employers. I mentioned Aetna. You see it with airlines and uh, hotels that are now competing. Um, who is going to provide the best sleep services? We partnered with the Marriott Hotels, and they now put my A-top sleep tips on pillows. We partnered with United Airlines um, that is launching a new um, service to prioritize sleep on planes. So it's happening. It's all that we can do by having this conversation, by answering questions, by helping people change their minds about the importance of sleep and then change their habits. All we can do is help accelerate this change. Yeah. How have you seen it change your life? since you shifted this? Oh, so dramatically. It's really waking up and being fully present in my life rather than dragging myself. And and I remember that lovely piece you wrote, Christine, when you were sleep-deprived for two weeks. Everything seems gloomier. Um, there isn't that same kind of joy that um, I can now bring into my life, even when I'm dealing with obstacles, setbacks, problems, because the truth is that life is always a mixture of good things and bad things happening. And our attitude towards what happens in our lives is so dramatically affected by whether I have gotten enough sleep um, or not. And the same is true of everybody I've talked to, and science proves it. Yeah, yeah. And so can you give a couple sleep tips? Like people may be wondering, okay, well, yes. how much sleep do I need? <laughs> like how do I fall asleep? How do we improve our sleep quality? Well, first of all, unless you have a genetic mutation, and a small minority of us have that, about 1%, um, which means that even if you get four or five hours, you feel great. So unless you have the genetic mutation, the vast majority of us need seven to nine hours. Where you are in that spectrum is individual. Like uh, my sweet spot is eight hours. When I wake up after eight hours, I'm fully recharged. I'm ready to face the day. And you may be at seven hours or nine hours. And the most important tip I can give, dear Christine, is to create a transition to sleep. Everybody who is listening, who is a parent, knows that you don't just drop your baby in bed. You um, give it a bath. You put it in its PJs. You sing it a lullaby or read it a story. Well, we need to do the same thing for ourselves. We need to have a grown-up equivalent of good night moon. Mm. You know, it <laughs> could be good night smartphone and good night laptop exactly. and good night our to-do list. Exactly. 
I love that. And then uh, turning off all our devices and charging them outside the bedroom. In the second part of the book, there are a lot of tips and techniques to integrate in that ritual, but I can quickly tell you mine. After I turn off my devices, I have a hot bath with Epsom salts and a candle nearby because I love rekindling the romance with sleep, so it's something I'm looking forward to. Um, I wear sleep clothes rather than the same clothes I go to the gym in. So again, (laughs) it's a clear message to my brain. Mm -hmm. I only read physical books in bed, like um, poetry or novels or um, philosophy, things that have nothing to do with my work. And um, I end the day by writing down three things I'm grateful for because you can give the closing scene of the day to the good things or the bad things, and if you give it to the good things, you are less likely to be woken up in the middle of the night with your brain chattering away. Mm -hmm. I love what you said, bringing the romance back with sleep, really looking forward to it like you would an amazing meal or a vacation or a person that you're in love with because I think so many people just collapse into bed at the end of the day and don't make it a ritual or something they look forward to. So I love that. I love that. And I, about three years ago, Turned my took my electronic devices out of the room. I turned my phone off two hours before I go to bed, and it's made such a difference. And nights where I find myself down an Instagram rabbit hole or on my phone way too late, I feel it the next day. I feel like this hungover kind of feeling without any alcohol, and it's because of really not relaxing and not romancing the sleep. So I love that. Exactly. In fact, very often, um, sleep becomes like enemy territory that we are trying to avoid, like a heavily mined border that we don't want to cross. And so many of us, I know I've done that for a large part of my life, you know, try to power through our fatigue by eating or playing loud music yeah, exactly. or, or pinching ourselves, anything to keep going, kind of failing to realize how incredibly unproductive these hours are. Speaking to the moms out there, just anybody who puts a lot of pressure on themselves. You know, a lot of people listening are high achievers, people that can tend to be a little hard on themselves and are are know that they want more self-care, know that they want to take pressure off themselves, but are scared to, are scared that if they back off everything they're doing, if they put self-care first, that they're going to be less of a mother or they're not going to be able to run their company as well, or they're going to lose their footing. So what would you say to those people who know they quote unquote should sleep more, be better about self-care, but are so kind of identified with doing, 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 and are scared to make those changes? Well, I think the most important thing, Christine, is for them to read the science about sleep. Because if they read the impact that sleep deprivation has on our lives, they will then realize that they need to change their habits, not just for their sake, but for the sake of their children. Because no matter what we tell our children, they they watch what we are doing. We model behavior. So if they see us valuing sleep, they will value sleep. I have um, a friend of mine, for example, who has changed her relationship to her devices and technology, and this has dramatically changed how her children um, treat their smartphones. So, for example, at night they have a place outside their bedrooms, which is like where all the phones go to sleep. 
and they literally have a little charging station, but it's nowhere near anybody's bedroom. And if she puts her phone there and the dad puts the phone there, it's much more likely that the children will not see this as a punishment. Because right now parents are beginning to to understand, and there's so much science on that, how detrimental it is for children to to stay to sleep with their phones by their beds or be on screens with all the blue light they emit right until they go to sleep. But if they can uh, make it the family ritual that makes the family healthier and more productive and not just a punishment for children whose phones are being taken away from them, uh, it dramatically changes how we look at, at that whole relationship with technology, which has to change. Mm-hmm. Yes, our relationship with technology really needs some boundaries <laughs> because it's it's become invasive. It's it's such an amazing yeah. thing and it it also can be very invasive and I love that you know like you said a revolution really starting and you've really spearheaded a lot of it and I, like I I use the night shift feature on my iPhone now so that at 6:30 my screen starts becoming warmer and more there's more tools out there like that to help us like calm the brain and and have a different relationship with technology um on a on a different note I'm just actually curious about something I I love paying attention to dreams I think our dreams provide us with a lot of information and insight. And have you noticed since you shifted sleep that um, your dreams have shifted at all? Um, Yes. Well, the first thing that happens is that I remember my dreams. Because when you're sleep deprived, it's much, much harder to remember your dreams. And I now find that, I mean, that's why I have a whole chapter on dreams and the mystery of sleep, that actually... I, the dreams are such an important part of life. You know, even when they are mundane, there's so much emotional processing that goes on that we need to give ourselves the time to make that happen and complete those cycles. Um, Dr. Ronenberg, who is a great German uh, sleep scientist, I quote in the book, um, has a great sort of proclivity for metaphors. And he says, it's like taking the laundry out of the a laundry machine before all the cycles have been completed. You end up with wet and dirty laundry. Mm. It's the same with us. If we wake up before all the sleep cycles have been completed, and that includes, you know, REM sleep and the dream stage, we do feel like wet and dirty laundry. Uh, thank you so much, Ariana, for starting this conversation and for really being such an advocate for it. Where can people get involved in the sleep revolution? How can they take these steps? How can they get involved? I know they can get your book, but I also know that there's other ways that they can um, participate in this. So um, the, the first thing that I would love them to do is to read the science, as I said earlier, to understand how we came to believe something which is false in the history section, and uh, then to read the part of the book that will help them create that transition to sleep and make it something that they look forward to, as we said, Christine, rekindle your romance with sleep. Mm-hmm. And then they can look at their lives and see where can they make a difference. Is their children's school starting too, too early? Because the American Academy of Pediatrics has made it clear that that is having a deleterious effect on our children, on our, their ability to learn, on the overdiagnosis of ADHD, oh, because wow. our children turn you know, turn up at school sleep-deprived and therefore 
act in very similar ways as though they're actually they're suffering from attention deficit. So there is a movement for all around the country to start school later, which is backed by doctors. They may want to get involved in that if they have young children. <clears throat> if they have children about to go to college or in college, they may want to get involved with our college movement. We have an outreach effort to 350 colleges about changing habits, helping them redo their dorm rooms, uh, establishing nap rooms, uh, an enormous amount of fun things. <clears throat> if they're working um, in a place which still glamorizes sleep deprivation to help change the culture, uh, to set up boundaries in terms of expectations. Are people expected to be on even after they leave work? Um, is it possible to have a nap room in the office? At the Huffington Post, we have two, and I predict that nap rooms are going to be as universal as conference rooms soon. Um, in, in any sphere of life, um, there is a lot that can be done, but the first step is to become utterly convinced ourselves about how essential this culture shift is, both for ourselves, our families, our workplaces, and the way we relate with each other. Yeah. We really need to remember we're human beings, not just human doings. And it's this... Oh, I love that. It's just a simple, you know, we think sleep is so simple and it's something we take for granted, but it's from what I'm really getting from this conversation is it's one of the biggest gifts we have to replenish, to recharge. And it's, it's, I feel like we spend so much time, energy, and money trying to optimize and be more productive. And something as simple as good sleep can change, can be such a game changer. So thank you so much for bringing this into the awareness of our culture and starting this movement. Ariana, you've always been a thought leader and, and I've always just adored you because you're such a heart-centered honest, authentic thought leader who really gets at what's what's really causing people to suffer. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you being in my life and I appreciate you coming on to share this with us. Thank you so much, Christine. And thank you so much for what you're doing to help your generation understand all these issues much more deeply and, and lead much more fulfilling and, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much and hope to see you soon. Oh, my pleasure. 